And then Smith takes it back. Here comes Smith down the left side. Smith in front. Backhand shot. Score! Second of the game for Jonathan Marchessault. So they're putting in a $500,000 house across the street from my house, which is not a $500,000 house. It's considerably less than that. But they're putting in this, I guess, big ranch-style house. They had to buy two lots to fit it on. And today is the day that they started building it. So if you're at my house right now, what you would see is my street is closed. So I don't think we're going to get the mail today because the mailman can't get down the street. And... Right past my house, about 10 feet past my driveway, there's a giant slit in the road where you can no longer walk. If you were walking down my street, you would fall into the road like a sinkhole. Uh, But they they dug it out. They're running the water or something to this house. It's a mess. My street's in disarray. My dog isn't happy. He's guarding the house. Uh, he's, He's on guard. He's standing there. He's growling. He's worried one of these workers might come and try to get his sister. Uh, so it's a, it's a crazy scene outside of my house here on May 15th, 2018, as we get ready uh, for the Sportscasters podcast. Really good show today. Damon Hack from the Golf Channel is going to join me in a minute, and we're going to talk about Tiger Woods. I read an amazing book by Armin Katayan and Jeff Benedict about Tiger Woods. It's called Tiger Woods. I give it my highest recommendations. It's one of the best sports books I've ever read. Maybe the best I've read since Sweetness. Uh, really, really good. I want, I'm trying to track down Jeff, who's been on this podcast before, uh, when he was at SI, and he wrote a piece on uh, Jabari Parker uh, when we had him on. So I'm going to try to get Jeff, but it's an amazing book. Uh, David and I will discuss it. We'll also talk about uh, some of the other things going on in golf. Uh, he's getting ready for the the U.S. Open, obviously. Uh, we're going to talk about Tiger Woods in general, just his play. He had a kind of a big Saturday, um, just, made, just made the cut, uh, and then put in a, a low 60s number on Saturday and even sort of semi uh, worked his way into contention midday Sunday before falling back a bit. We'll talk about Tiger with him. Uh, we'll also talk about the future of SI for a minute with him. Uh, he worked there for five years. Uh, it was announced recently, obviously, our friend Richard Deitch is no longer at SI. And last week came news that Peter King was leaving SI as well. So we'll get his perspective on that. Also on the show, Neil Best from New York Newsday will join us to talk about the sudden return of Mike Francesa uh, to WFAN. A shocking development uh, with Francesa uh, rejoining after his no-compete ended. We thought he might end up on a podcast somewhere. Uh, working for Bill Simmons or maybe even dreaming that he might end up at Sirius and there might be some kind of reconnection of the Mike and the Mad Dog show. Uh, but stunningly, he wound up right back where he retired after a year-and-a-half retirement tour. Uh, so we'll talk to Neil Best about that, uh, Mike Francesa and Sports Talk Radio. All right, so we got a big show today. Uh, I'll also do one last thing. I want to close up some thoughts on the documentary that ran uh, recently. 
And uh, we'll have a book club update as well. So with all that said, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Damon Heck. All right, our first guest today is a graduate of UCLA and has been a friend of this podcast since the very, very beginning. He was with SI then. He's with Golf Channel now. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Damon Hack. How you doing, Damon? Steve, always great to spend time with you. How you doing, pal? Doing really good. Really excited to have you back. Um, it's a relationship that started for, for those listening for the first time. Pretty much from the beginning, way back in 2011 when we started this, Damon was writing, uh, I think the first time we had you on was after the uh, opening week of the football season. You had written uh, a gamer for SI, I want to say it was a Monday night game in New York, maybe Jets and Broncos, something like that. Um, And that was the first time we had you on and uh, following you through Golf Channel here. Uh, I, I had to get you on the phone because... I read the the new Tiger Woods book that Armin Katayan and uh, Jeff Benedict, who's also a former SI guy, maybe still, I'm not sure, uh, but they put they had put out a book called The System, and uh, the follow up is this book called Tiger Woods, and I read it, and I, I know Damon, you had said that that you had read it as well, and I want to talk about that for a minute, and then we'll talk about um, about the golf season as well. But uh, what's what what's kind of your impressions? It's like someone says to you, like, hey, did you read that book? Like, what's kind of just, like, your overall impression of it or whatever? Yeah, Steve, it's the most comprehensive book, um, article, you know, that's ever been written about Tiger. Um, you know, and, I've, and I say that as someone who's covered Tiger for, for, you know, nearly as long as he's been on the scene. Uh, you think about the, the books that have been written about him before, the articles, newspaper, magazines. This, to me, is really the definitive, you know, account of, of Tiger Woods's life upbringing uh remarkable golf and obviously the good the bad and the ugly that kind of come along the way with his superstardom i thought armin and jeff did an incisive job of reporting and talking to hundreds and hundreds of people and and just the legwork just as a journalist i respect so much the the legwork that it took to put something like that together and then it really kind of makes tiger uh, more three-dimensional you know, it explains uh, the, some of the remarkable things that have happened to him, the incredible things he's been able to accomplish, and also the incredible downfall and, and, and what may be a, a rise again as we see him now playing golf again, healthy and playing great golf. But it is it is a powerhouse of reporting that uh, Jeff Benedict and Armin Kittain put together uh, in this uh, biography. I'm curious, just since we're on the topic, what were your experiences over the years with team tiger as they called it in the book quite a bit? Like, did you? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Great question. Yeah. I mean, I, I had many and, and I know, you know, I read the book with, uh, uh, in a knowing smile on some of the interactions and knowing how hard it was to get time with tiger and a couple hoops that you had to jump through to get time with him. That said, I was able to get some time with him, uh, you know, throughout the years, I remember uh, a phone conversation I had with Tiger one time. It may have been affiliated with something he was promoting, um, but I still had to go through certain channels. Um, I remember talking to his father. I got his father, uh, Earl, late father, uh, on the phone for 
a phone interview in advance of the 2002 U.S. Open at Bethpage, which Tiger eventually won, and kind of got to hear Earl and his thoughts about Tiger's upbringing. I'll never forget an anecdote he told me about being out in the rain with Tiger when he was uh, a young teenager, and and Tiger it was burning four out of the five, the first five holes they played. It was raining. Earl wanted to go back inside, and Tiger said, I want to finish playing golf. And he ends up shooting 67, and, and Earl was like, you know, there were carts going in. This is a driving rainstorm, and, and everyone's going toward the clubhouse, and they're just continuing on the golf course and playing. And, uh, so yeah, I, I remember that it can be tough to get a hold of Tiger sometimes, and he was reticent and, and private and the people around him wanted to insulate him. And in some ways I understand it because he's been like a rock star. He literally is like the Beatles. When Tiger Woods is on the golf course, people react in ways that they don't react to with any other golfer that I've ever been around. And it can be a dangerous situation sometimes when folks are jabbing pens and wanting his autograph and knocking people over. I've seen that as well. So some of the insulation that I think his team was doing around him was was appropriate, and then sometimes I thought, well, gosh, I wish he'd be a little more open and, and, and maybe a little more accessible to the fans and to the members of the media. But I tell you what, the guy's a phenomenon, and there's nobody like him. And even uh, to this day, he, he may not have won a golf tournament in five years, but people still want to be around him, want to watch him, uh, and want to root for him. You know, the, the book really paints a really ugly picture of Tiger Woods, the guy. I mean, I never, I'll never take away – his accomplishments on the course. I mean, he's no worse than the second greatest ever. I don't. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue really anything other than that, right? I mean, if you're going to take another side, you're going to probably take Nicholas, and if you're not going to take him, you're going to take Woods. I'd imagine. Uh, maybe there's a Palmer sure. guy, or uh, maybe there's a, a old timer for Bobby Jones. Who knows? But he, he's he's probably one or two. I would never take that away from him. But after reading the book, I mean, I could never root for him, uh, and I am sympathetic. You know, I'm sympathetic to the fact that he is, in a lot of ways, who he is because of how he was raised, and that's not his fault, right? So I am sympathetic to that to, to that part of it. But I feel like it gets to a point in everyone's life where, I mean, his father's been dead for how long, right? You know, um, it just seems like at some point here, – here's what, here's what really troubles me about Tiger, and I'm curious what you think about this. And it never seems to have stopped. And that's the way he ends relationships with people. It's like this. I mean, I think the first real example in the book is his, his girlfriend in college who comes to play uh, to visit him at a, a golf tournament while he's at Stanford. And she goes to her parents' hotel and finds her luggage and everything packed up and shipped out and never talks to the guy ever again. And I mean, coaches, former legal members, people from Team Tiger who he's had for... 10, 15, 20 years, it ends and it ends. I mean, even the way he treated the O'Meara's, I thought, was pretty pretty lousy. Um, what do you think about uh, the way the book paints Tiger off the course? Were they fair with him? Or did, I mean, my impression is just uh, just a very – I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the way he acted from what I knew, but this opened up like a whole new window into just a, a really seedy side of the guy. Yeah, I think the reporting is very unsparing and honest, uh, and I appreciate that as a reporter. Uh, I definitely uh, have seen some of that behavior. Obviously, the scandal was, was one of the biggest stories the sports world or even just in general in news world has ever seen. I, I think there was a lot of 
spot on reporting in terms of how his relationships have ended with people. Uh, that, it was, that was disturbing to read a lot of those things. And then I also, at the same time, to look at the, the environment in which he grew up in, um, and, and that in many ways we're products of our environment. And I read part of the book um, while maybe saying, yes, this is, these are ugly situations, but also I felt a sense of sadness, too, yeah. uh, in, in the relationship that, that obviously his parents had with each other. Um, it's obviously not, uh, you know, maybe it's a great incubation for, for raising a 14-time major champ, a 79-time PGA Tour winner who can put the, the blinders on and, and be kind of cold and calculating where necessary. And I think we've seen, you know, examples of that absolutely on the course. And, and in some ways, they didn't uh, stay on the course, that he was very, you know, much built in that same mold and fashion in his relationships off the golf course, able to turn the page uh, and, and cut people off and, and move on without uh, feeling much remorse about it. So definitely there, there's some mixed, uh, you know, and very complex, um, understandably, images of, of, of this person. Um, I, I think a lot of people that root for Tiger, they root for the golf. They root for Mozart being Mozart. They want to see right. uh, one of the greatest of all time be great and see him in the red shirt and see him hitting shots that maybe no one – in the history of the planet is hit. But I, I understand the, a lot of the eye-opening things about his personal relationships. Uh, very, very uncomfortable reading some of those things, and they do kind of paint uh, a fuller picture on, on someone who is a very uh, clearly complex human being. Going back to something you said a minute ago, you, you know, you're talking about how he's like a rock star. And I think that nothing in the book kind of illustrates that more than the way He's treated famous, really famous people over the years, like Bill Clinton, for example. I mean, he just just dogged the guy. Like I, I, I couldn't even believe it when I was reading it. Like, wow, this is a, a former president of the United States, and Tiger's just blowing him off, making him wait around. I mean, just unbelievable. You know, uh, other celebrities over the years. It just, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the president really really shocked me, you know, I think. Just... Well, it's interesting. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to interject here because uh, that was a very interesting part of the book. But later, when that, when that excerpt came out, one of uh, President Clinton's uh, attorneys who was there that week really, uh, you know, uh, went against what Armin and Jeff wrote there. They challenged oh, a lot of the reporting. They're saying that, that Tiger was respectful um, and, and that a lot of the scenes that were brought up were, were incorrectly reported. So that was one part of the book, and I'm glad you brought it up, that, that there's been some pushback by, by someone who was in Clinton's inner circle. Uh, Golf Digest uh, eventually ran an excerpt of the, that chapter, and then later the letter by that uh, Clinton insider uh, refuting a lot of what that part of the reporting said. So, uh, you know, obviously in a book of this length and depth, uh, you're going to have some people that remember situations in a different way, but I, I thought it was interesting. And, and this, you know, this is one shit anyway in, in Tiger's favor uh, right. in this book that said, "Hey, maybe maybe that situation didn't go down exactly as was written in the book." Um, obviously, I know the reporters stand by their reporting, but uh, the Clinton uh, aide who uh, was there that week as well and there that day on the golf course says that that Tiger was, you know, having fun and and and, and, you know, and kind of you know, you're kind of, you know, needling the president, but that's kind of what Tiger's relationship is with a lot of people, um, is having the needle out and that, that Clinton had the needle out as well. So, 
Uh, that's one part of the book that kind of made me scratch my head a little bit and say, well, hey, maybe this was this was a day where different people saw things uh, unfolding and, and, and took different interpretations for, away from what exactly what happened. Well, you know, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you, you know, I never lose perspective of the thought that there are two sides to every story. And when I was reading the book, I was thinking like, I wonder if Tiger's going to read this, and, I, and if I wonder if he does, I wonder where he's going to say things like, "Well, okay, I remember this, but that's not exact. It didn't really happen that way, you know. Like, you know, with that waitress or with that person, you know. Like, oh, I remember texting them and saying goodbye, you know. Like all the, like, I, I just, I'd imagine that there's part of that exists in Tiger's world, and I was wondering if you gave that any thought as well, just like that. As dark of it and grim as a picture as this paints, I'm sure that if and you and you mentioned right there with the with the Clinton story is maybe a great example of it where that you know they didn't have Tiger, so everything that is reported is reported from someone other than him. So it is possible that he's reading this book saying like, "Well, I remember these things, but that's not exactly right." Yeah, I think uh, it'd be interesting to see what he would think. I, I'd be surprised if he read the book at all. Uh, he's not someone who likes to kind of delve into what the media is saying or writing about him. Uh, Tiger, listen, I'd like to think that at age 42, he's a a bit different than he was in his 20s and 30s. Uh, Having dealt with him over the last few months uh, since his return, I I got to say hi to him in March at uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, interviewed him one-on-one in December of 2015 at the Hero World Challenge. I think he's in a better place. Um, I think he's realizes that he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. Uh, he's got two young kids that are, are you know, dealing with the thought of being children of divorce uh, and how that's going to play into their lives. And, 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 I, and my hope is that, that, that he's a happier person. He seems like a happier person, a little more at ease. Just watching him at the Players' Championship he absolutely is connecting more with the gallery, smiling a little bit more, uh, a few more fist pumps than we're used to seeing, fist bumps, I should say, with the gallery. And, and I think that those are good things. Uh, and, and my hope is that maybe as he gets older, even even still, that he can have an end of his career uh, that's more like uh, what we thought it would be at the beginning, just in terms of being beloved and, and, and respected and, and maybe able to enjoy a, uh, a walk in the sunset like, like Nicholas has had and like Arnold Palmer had as well. Um, because the golf has been so good and his achievement has been so good, it'd be nice for people to be able to to kind of root for him guilt-free. But obviously a lot of it has to do with him. It has to do with uh, making amends for the mistakes he's made and, and having eye contact with people and saying thank you and, and doing the things that we want our, our, our sporting heroes to do. And uh, he has a long way to go, but I think he's made some steps. And, and I understand your view of of, um, of the way he's behaved, and a lot of people share that. And, and uh, I certainly do as well uh, and want to see uh, Tiger uh, continue to connect. And, and then hopefully those connections lead to, to more happy times for him and also uh, good interactions with his expanding and ever en- never-ending fan base. One question I think I've asked you pretty consistently over the years, and your answer has kind of evolved and changed, is the issue of the majors and um, and the record. And, and uh, did you think he'd get them? And I think for a long time you kind of 
felt like he would. I, I don't know if you still feel that way. But one thing I know I've always felt is that at some point, he's going to show up somewhere some weekend, and he's going to have an 86 Masters. Whether it's at the Masters at the U.S. Open, or I just I still believe that to this day, and I'll believe that till he's sixty probably. If it doesn't happen by then, like at some point, he's going to show up somewhere some weekend, and he's going to beat everybody, and it's going to be a major, and he's going to get at least one more. I mean, that's my opinion. What's yours? Yeah, my my uh, position has definitely uh, you know evolved, and a lot of this has to do with the ebb and flow of his health, yeah. uh, of his golf swing of his short game issues, but watching him over the last few months, he can still hit a lot of golf shots that a lot of players can't. Uh, I think he will not only have a Nicholas at 46 moment, but maybe, a, you know, a, a Darren Clark at 41, Ernie Ellis in his 40s, Phil Mickelson in his 40s. Um, we've watched, you know, Tom Watson at 59, uh, newly win an open, Greg Norman at 54, uh, be the 54-hole leader uh, at an open. You know, Tiger Woods is as good or, or, or leaps better than a lot of those names I, I just mentioned. And I think uh, as he's put his body and life back together, we're being reminded that uh, at the height of his power, he's a one-of-a-kind golfer. And even less than the height of his power is still going to be good enough on a lot of weeks to beat the best players in the world currently today. And I think we're seeing that. Uh, he's been paired alongside Jordan Spieth a number of times and outplayed him. Over the last few weeks, uh, Henrik Stenson, uh, Brad Snedeker, uh, these are you know big-time players, FedEx Cup champs, major champs in certain cases. And Tiger is, is reminding us that there's still a lot of talent in that body that, that, that you know four times operated on his back and, and more on his knees and ankles. There's still a lot of will and determination, and you just keep counting me out. Uh, I've done this before. Uh, he, he's not back here just to kind of smile for the cameras and work on his suntan. He, he's out there to find a way to win golf tournaments again and win big golf tournaments again. And the more time goes on and the better he gets in contention, I think we're going to see uh, maybe more than one moment where he's hoisting a major championship trophy again. And, and look out when he does. It, it'll, it'll be uh, A1, bold type, above the fold uh, type of news. All right. This is a fun hypothetical. All right, so someone comes to you with an offer. They say they have three college scholarships for you, okay? And you can get you can cash these college scholarships in when your boys are ready for college if you get one question correct. And the question is, between now and the time that it is time to for your boys to use those scholarships, pick any number from zero to any number you want. How many more majors do you think Tiger Woods is going to win? And if you're right, you get the scholarships. What would you put? What would you put it on? Wow, great question. If you told me, wow, I got to pick one number between zero and whatever for Tiger to win the major, and my boys get scholarships. Right. I'm so you figure you got about 15 years, and his career will pretty much be over by then. Yeah. Pretty safe to say. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically yeah. how many more you think he's going to win, and if you're right, you get the scholarships. Uh, what a great question. I'm going to say two. Two. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to say two. I would say one. I, I just uh, – and you say one. I, okay. I would say one. Uh, I think because you, of – Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to fall short of Nicholas. He's got four to tie, five to break. Uh, I'm trying to consider health. You know, he's been sidelined so much, it's hard to imagine that he's going to 
spend the next 10 years completely healthy, but maybe he will. Uh, I think with what I've seen so far, I, I think if he wins one, that he can win two. Um, I think it'll be harder to the closer he gets to Jack. It should the, the clock start ticking again and, and the resumption of this major championship chase really resume in earnest. But I, I think, I, I think too, you know, I almost feel like it's a little conservative. And some, somebody <laughs> says it's way over the top, but I, I think it's uh, that's what's so beautiful about the unknown. I mean, we, nobody really knows, and no one knows, you know, what other studs will come out on the on the PGA Tour or, or what his, his health situation is going to be. But I feel pretty good about saying, too, I, I would think that uh, my boys would have a good chance at that scholarship. So I'm going with two. <laughs> yeah, I think two is – that's almost what I expected you to say, uh, that I had a feeling you were going to say two. I'll stick with one. I, I just think that I, I believe he's going to have his weekend somewhere, someday, whether it's this year yeah. or next year or whatever. He's going to show up somewhere, and everything's going to fall into place. He's going to win it. But I do think that – and you're a much more educated eye than me when it comes to golf. But I do think that the field around, the field that Tiger built almost, you know, these guys who grew yeah. up in the Tiger era are going to are gonna come back to haunt him a little bit. You know, that the, the guys around him are so much better than when he started uh, because there's a better quality of athlete who dedicated their life to golf during the Tiger Woods era. You know, it's like goalies from Montreal who grew up when Patrick Waugh was there, you know, or... Um, you know, shortstops in New York City who grew up in the in the in the era of Jeter or something. You know, I just feel like that his effect on the game is going to work against him now in his late run. I think that that's probably why I oh, put it's it a at great one. Point. Yeah, it's a great point, and, and and you're right. I mean, these so-called Tiger babies. You know, I mean, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. You know, these guys. You know, Rory could tell you every record Tiger holds in the game. I mean, he. He grew up watching Tiger the way Tiger grew up watching Jack, and I think that's a great point that the part of his, you know, challenge is going to be beating players who will spend you, you know, spend time on the range for for three hours and then two more in the gym and then do it again the next day. I mean, they're 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 in good shape, they work out, and they also, most importantly, even above the the the, the exercise, they believe they believe that winning big tournaments is accessible to them in their twenties because they saw their sporting hero do the same thing. And, and gosh, it's one of the great things we love about golf, because you know what? We couldn't see Magic Johnson against Bill Russell, uh, but we can see Tiger Woods against Jordan Spieth right. and, and Ricky Fowler. And, and it's just it's one of the great things, this kind of intergenerational uh, battle that, that golf uh, affords the fan. It's really, really fun. And, and i tell you what, man, it's, uh, I think two is a – a reasonable guess. I think one is a reasonable guess. I think zero is a reasonable guess. But I also want to defer to the 2008 Masters champ, Trevor Immelman, who after the Players' Championship, I have no doubt in my mind now that Tiger Woods will win majors again. Uh, I, I thought that was – and he put that tweet out, uh, you know, for the public to see. And, and it was quite a statement from a major champion who knows what it takes to win, saying I have no doubt Tiger will, will be a major champion again after what he's seen so far uh, in this uh, short comeback. One thing that certainly separates the Tiger babies, as you put it, from Tiger is the way that they root for each other, right? I mean, I can't remember. It was a couple of majors ago, and one of these guys was about to win their first one finally. And I want to say it was Spieth and maybe a couple of guys were in the gallery at the end watching and cheering him on and were right there to shake his hand. And it was kind of this cool camaraderie with the with the young U.S. players and it. 
it's really cool because it's something you would have never really seen in the Tiger era. But I'm sure Tiger would say that that's why he was Tiger, and that's something that will always separate him from everyone else. And that's the way that he shut out the others on the tour, and, and especially anyone he viewed as a rival, even though we know he never really had a rival per se. Um, what do you think about the way these, these kids kind of interact and do care for each other as compared to Tiger? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, Spieth and Thomas, for example, grew up playing golf together in the uh, AJGA, the American Junior Golf Association. Uh, they are they're really good friends. They have been for years, and, and they've been able to maintain that friendship even as they, they want to beat each other up uh, inside the ropes. And Ricky Fowler also you know, lives in, in Jupiter, Florida, where Justin Thomas lives. And, and so there's this interesting thing that we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the you know Bubba winning a major, and there's you know Ricky there to give him a hug, and you know you see these players of great accomplishment, uh, and there's like almost like a conga line of players. Jimmy Walker wins a major, well he's been a Ryder Cup teammate of of Spieth and Fowler, and so they're they're waiting for him to give him a hug, and it may be off putting to some old school folks saying, hey, what are these guys who are hugging each other? You would never have seen you know Lanny Watkins you know waiting for Hale Irwin to finish off a tournament and giving him a hug. But uh, it's a different era. I tell you what, these guys, I think part of it has to do with the, the money that they're making. They're, they're, they're like in their 20s, and they are multimillionaires. They know their place in the game is, has been created by what Tiger Woods did in the 90s and 2000s. And so they're, they're, they're really just, uh, they, they, they want to win. They're competitive, and they want to beat each other. But I think there's a sense of tremendous gratitude for the station that they have in this game and their status. Um, as celebrities uh, on social media for their financial status as well, and I, I think they're kind of like, hey, you know, we're 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 hungry. We want to win, but we also can want to, you know, be friends and, and maintain that and show it. And I think they've just spent so much time together practicing uh, and, and hanging out that they, you know, they take trips together. This whole, you know, spring break in Baker's Bay a couple of years ago that, you know, everybody seemed to follow on, on social media. And I think as long as they continue to play great golf uh, and they don't like, you know, somehow get so soft that they don't want to beat each other up. And so far we're seeing that they still want to. I mean, you know, Jordan Spieth shot 64 on that Masters Sunday. Ricky Fowler shot 67 on that Masters Sunday that Patrick Reed won. And, they, you know, there's no let up because they're nice guys and want to hang out and hug. Um, they're still playing great golf. Uh, Jordan Speed, in fact, I was uh, in that press conference at the players, uh, and he said, listen, those who think that Ricky Fowler isn't going to win a major, a major, it's laughable to all of us, to all of his peers. I asked Justin Thomas about how good Ricky Fowler's finish was at the players in 2015. He said, I was six shots ahead of him on that back nine. I finished 24th. He finished first. So there's a lot of respect among those guys, among those peers, uh, they will hug and high-five, but I still believe that they're competitive and they want to beat each other up and then have bragging rights uh, when they have a Sunday night dinner together. It's almost like golf's version of hockey's handshake line, you know, where these yeah. guys rip each other's heads off during a seven-game series, but then at the end they, they go to center ice and shake hands. You know, this is like golf's version of that. Oh, great point. And, and, and you know, for, totally. yeah, go ahead. Well, I'd say Tiger and Phil did it in a different way, and now, now we're seeing them playing practice rounds together and, and being friendlier they were with them when they were at the height of their power. Uh, they're more old school guys, you know. They grew up watching guys that weren't hanging around and giving hugs. And Vijay Singh, 
uh, you know, cut from the same cloth, loner, do your work, you know, don't smile, you know, get off the golf course, go to the gym. These guys, they, they love the hang. You know, they're there taking pictures and doing selfies and, uh, and, and having fun, but it's, but they're still great golfers. Don't, uh, don't short them at all. They are, they are legitimately great players and, and they're just doing it in a different way in a different era. Yeah, and I think it's great for as a U.S. golf fan for our Ryder Cup teams because the book does touch on this. For as great as Tiger was, he didn't have great results at the Ryder Cup, and and the book attributed it as possibly to just the way Tiger did his business, that it was just awkward for him to be in a team event because he was such a loner on the course and such a fierce competitor. You know, I think that the way these these guys' mentality just lends better to that environment, and I would expect them to have more success in that in that setting than Tiger did. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I do. I mean, we're seeing the the fruits of that that friendship, especially in the team events. I mean, they yeah. at the Presidents Cup absolutely boat raced the international team, and it'll be interesting because uh, the Europeans feel like they have a, a a nice core of young players themselves. Obviously, led by Rory, but also getting some new faces, uh, possibly like Tommy Fleetwood and Terrell Hatton, a couple of European Tour uh, winners, and then you get your old standbys like Major Champions Henrik Stenson. Uh, Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose, uh, it's going to be a fascinating Ryder Cup. But you're right. When you see Justin Thomas, you know, hanging out with Ricky Fowler, know that that leads for good camaraderie when he's with Daniel Berger and, and Jordan Spieth. Uh, these youngsters, they, they, uh, they grew up playing golf together. And when you have that kind of camaraderie where you don't have to force it, you know, Tiger and, and Phil, they wanted to win Ryder Cups. But they, they wanted to be leaders, but they couldn't really lead collectively. Now they do. They're, they've been vice captains. They're at a different place in their relationship. Uh, but those young players for the Americans, they're already there. They're, they're rooting for each other uh, as much as they want to beat each other up. And it, it really manifests itself in, in a beautiful way during the team events when you're spending all that time together you know, on the team bus, in the locker room, in the clubhouse, at these gala dinners. Um, when you've got history, and it's good history, and it goes back to your teenage years, and you can josh and you know and talk a little trash and have some fun. I mean, it's like an NFL locker room. You know, these guys are are going to bust up on each other, but they love each other, man. And it's it, it really most strongly manifests itself in those team uh, U.S. Ryder Cup and uh, Presidents Cup events. All right, the sportscaster's finishing up here with Damon Hack from Golf Channel. He's at Damon Hack GC on Twitter. Last thing, and I'll let you go. We just had Mother's Day. So that means Father's Day is around the corner. Of course, that means the U.S. Open. Um, what are your What are your just What do you What do you look When you look ahead to the U.S. Open, what are the What are the things uh, the old school SI reporter in you like? What were the What would be the things you'd be focusing on as potential column ideas that you could see developing out of this year's U.S. Open? Yeah, I tell you what, uh, Phil Mickelson comes to mind, leaps to mind with his six runner-up finishes in the national championship, including one at Shinnecock Hills back in 2004 uh, when uh, Retief Goosen uh, clipped him at the end of that week. It's, uh, it's going to be remarkable to see Phil, who has a victory under his belt this season, his first in five years. Uh, he got a win in Mexico at the WGC event. Now have a chance uh, to complete the career Grand Slam, and what a rich you know, vein of stories we have this year with Rory having gone for it at the Augusta. You've got, you know, you Phil at Shinnecock, and then, of course, Jordan Spieth has a chance to complete the career Grand Slam at the PGA later this summer in St. Louis. So 
I would go really to the top to Phil Mickelson and his pursuit of becoming the sixth man to complete the modern-day career Grand Slam. Obviously, Tiger Woods is showing uh, that uh, his hot start and then a little bit of a lull and now kind of finding his, his swing again uh, in Jacksonville. The players could bode very well. He's competed at Shinnecock before. Uh, he's always going to be a leading story. He could be 75 years old. If he's on the golf course, he's going to be a leading story. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's earned that right. And then finally, the golf course itself. Shinnecock Hills, located in New York on Long Island, uh, one of the great golf courses in the world. I spoke to Corey Pavin uh, just a couple of weeks ago, who won the U.S. Open in 1995. And uh, he just said, I played that golf course in 86, and I missed the cut. But even as I missed the cut, I was like, man, this is a sweet golf course. I love it. And then, of course, he ended up winning uh, back in uh, 1995, nine years after having missed the cut there in the U.S. Open. So just the quality of the venue as the USGA and the U.S. Open returns to uh, Shinnecock for the first time since 2004. So I got Phil, I got Tiger, and I got the golf course. You know, Dave Anderson of the New York Times told me, write the quarterback. Always write the big name. Write the quarterback. Well, Tiger, Phil, and Shinnecock Hills, that's my trio of quarterbacks uh, for June uh, and the U.S. Open. I have to squeeze one more thing, and I'm sorry. Is that I wanted to ask? Oh, yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask you this. This is totally off topic of what we've been talking about, but as a former SI guy, it's something I've been following on the sportscast. I want to get your opinion on. So SI is for sale, and uh, Richard Deitch talked about when he moved from SI to the Athletic that one of the big reasons he did it was because the one thing that Chris Stone, as much as he loved Chris Stone and admired Chris Stone, couldn't do for him was tell him what the future, what the new owners would do with the magazine, right? I mean, it could be a new owner who has read it for 50 years and just wants to do whatever he can do to bring it to prominence, or it can be some hedge fund that ends up at the detriment of the magazine, like, say, the Denver Post is going through right now. Uh, we've, seen Peter sure. K- we've seen Peter King leave. Um, he says, mostly motivated by the fact that he didn't want to be in the 24-7, 365-day grind of the NFL, and I, I believe that. And also, he wanted to provide opportunities to the young staff at MMQB. I sort of believe that. Um, when you look at SI, they've tried new things with uh, the SI. ESPN calls theirs Plus. What does SI call theirs? I don't know. They have some kind of video on demand service. Um, when you look from afar at your former employee, what do you what do you think about the future of SI? Just curious. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, I'm nostalgic, obviously, for the old days. Um, you know, they're biweekly or bimonthly now instead of. Uh, you know, every every week, which is a little odd, you know, uh, to have a, a twice-a-month uh, twice magazine uh, when, you know, gosh, when the you know, generations would uh, wait for Wednesday or Thursday uh, to have the magazine, you know, hit their mailbox. Yep. Um, it just speaks to the challenges of the times and that we're living in. And people are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in my car watching folks uh, on their iPhones or in their, in their you know, personal devices and they're they're reading twitter you know they're 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 getting their news in in bits and and, and you know getting it 30 seconds at a time and and uh, the the long form piece that si really perfected for the sports fan uh is becoming the way of the dodo bird i still think there's a place for it i still love sitting down with a lee jenkins or tim laden story because uh they're going to give me things i'm not going to get anywhere else but most people want their their information faster um, i'm hoping that uh the future of SI, I still think it's much like the New York Times. It's 
essential Americana. I, I just feel like uh, the Times uh, does a wonderful service of keeping us informed, and I think that Sports Illustrated does it for the sports fan. Uh, I love the pictures. I love the words. Uh, I'm obviously I worked at both the Times and the and Sports Illustrated for five years apiece, so uh, my words are obviously uh, biased by that and, and colored by that. But my gosh, I, I can't imagine. Uh, and I've already you know introduced SI to my kids, and uh, and that's partly because uh, I, I, I you know, flew the flag for five years, and uh, and I hope that. Uh, that the future you know, the owners and the folks that, that will uh, look at it can, can find a place to keep it uh, in the mainstream because I feel like uh, those are, are some uh, journalistic places that, that have done just remarkable things to, to uh, inform and entertain uh, readers for, for a long, long time. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to live as a sports fan without SI. I'll tell you what, when the, when the, Saints, won, <laughs> when the Saints won the Super Bowl, in 2009, well, it was 2010 by the time they won it. And I finally sat down that night. I remember I turned to my brother and said, I wonder if SI still sends out a football phone because I'm finally getting a commemorative issue. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like I couldn't, you know, I, I, it's right across the way. I can see it, a bounded Saints commemorative issue. I mean, it's like the coolest thing. I, I, I don't want to, you know, someday if the Sabres win a Stanley Cup, you know, I couldn't imagine not having a commemorative issue. That's like, it's like part of it, but. Anyway, Damon, thank you so uh, here, much I for your time. You what, Lee, Lee, yeah, go ahead. Thank you, Pat. I'll, I'll leave you with this. I yeah. mean, Lee Jenkins wrote that game story uh, when the Saints won. Uh, I was lucky enough to write uh, Giants beating the Patriots uh, in their second Super Bowl battle. I did the uh, Steelers beating the Cardinals. Those were as stressful as those Sunday nights are and, and Monday mornings when you're putting it together. Uh, looking back on it, those were two of the greatest uh, – you know, journalistic moments uh, of my career. And uh, I hope that future generations are able to read those stories because uh, they are they are part of Americana. I wanted to just leave you with that. Absolutely. Damon, thank you so much for the time. I hope it wasn't too much. Again, you can find Damon uh, at Damon Hack GC on Twitter. Um, and uh, is there anything else you wanted to plug or promote or anything like that? No, hey, you know, enjoy the golf season. A lot of great things happening on Golf Channel and NBC and and, Steve, it's always great to visit with you. I look forward to, to chatting again soon. All right, man. I hope you win the scholarships. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Me too. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, man. See you later. Could use a few pounds Tight pants points Hollering out She was a black hat beauty Alright, I want to thank Damon Hack For all the time Always love talking to Damon Always love talking to anyone uh, Who's been with us from the beginning Like Damon has I want to quickly update the book club Not going to take a long time today Uh, When we left you last There was kind of two feet in the fire We were working on a book called The Wire by Jonathan Abrams. I heard back from Jonathan. He said he would do something with me. I haven't read the book yet. I'd still like to follow up on that. I'm not sure. Uh, The other book was Jim Florentine's book. Uh, And that one we're definitely going to follow up on. Florentine's book was called Everybody is Awful Except You. Uh, And that book came out uh, in February sometime, I think. And uh, it's a 
hilarious book. I mean, it's totally different than what we usually feature here. I mean, it's it's for laughs. That's the point, and it delivers. It's really, really funny. Uh, so I want to get Jim on maybe the next show. So look for that. Uh, and then after that, we're going to get back into the groove of uh, more consistent podcasts. So in that sense, we'll do more books. It was a little distance, you know, a little interrupted with the uh, documentary, which I'll talk about more in one last thing. You know, like now we're going to get back into what the, the the original format for the show. So we'll get back into the book club. The book club is never going to die because it's just too good of a way to get guests. Uh, we would have never had Artie Lang on this show if it wasn't for the book club, for example. So that's where we're at. Uh, the Wire by Jonathan Abrams. That's still still kicking around, but I do want to follow up on. Jim Florentine's book. Again, it's called Everybody is Awful Except You. It's available wherever books are sold and, of course, uh, the ebook formats as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Neil Best. All right, our next guest is a Cornell grad who covers sports media for Newsday in New York. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Neil Best. How you doing, Neil? <clears throat> wow, fourth. I didn't realize this is... Uh, did I get some special prize for my fifth, like the Saturday Night Live host? Or? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a charm. I send a charm out. Okay. Uh, Lee J- <laughs> All right, well. Lee Jenkins has been in, you know, 20. So he got a, he got. Oh a, wow! Yeah, he got a TV. And it's a six inch, you know, one of the real small ones. So. Lee Jenkins of uh, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt. Yeah, I sent him a text message to congratulate him when they won the baseball national championship. I remember he was in the stands. They kept showing yeah, him on no. ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's a big Vandy alum, so uh, I root for Vandy Vandy sports. I was rooting for the uh, for the for the big red in the NCAA tournament, but they uh, they blew it against BU on the first first day. All that <clears throat> all that work. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a very unimpressive uh, and brief stay in the NCAA's, Unfortunately, now that's the risk when you build a team around the back end and you don't score a lot of goals. You know, if you get behind in the, in the national tournament, one or two goals, it's like, well, now what? You know, that, that hurts ECATs, ACAC teams a lot because they do play a little bit of a slower style in some of the teams in the national tournament. And I think the reason Yale won in 2013 is because they were more built, they were built more like a Western team. You know, they played a faster roll-the-line score goal style. And, you know, they beat Minnesota and North Dakota that first weekend, you know, where maybe in years past, they and other ECAC teams would be a little bit slower and, you know, get picked off like that. It is kind of crazy how Cornell's managed to be consistently competitive for decades, and yet, you know, since the, there's been a two frozen fours in 73, and in both of those occasions lost in the semis. So it is a very unimpressive NCAA tournament resume in the last, you know, 45 years. Yeah, the last time they were in the frozen four was in Buffalo. Uh, That's right, 03, yeah. yeah. But they, they, that did, I've been to both frozen fours. Since seventy three, nineteen eighty and two thousand three, and you know, like I said, yeah, neither of those went too well. It's just, it's weird, but maybe, yeah, maybe it's because of what you said. Once you get in there with the Western teams, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. 
Yeah, it was Minnesota who won it in 03, Thomas, <coughs> Thomas Vanek's team. They won two in a row. I can't remember if that was their first or their second. Might have been their second. But, uh, yeah, it was the uh, Thomas Vanek team. But um, at least it was a return to prominence for the program last year. You know, yeah, oh, to yeah, be ranked absolutely. number one most yeah. of the year, you know, parts of the year. And, they, I mean, the, uh, the star of the team is really a freshman goalie, you know, who's going to be back next uh-huh. year, so – uh yeah and uh, Anthony Angelo I mean they they had they have some talented players for sure so uh I always root for ECA, ECAC hockey as long as it's in Harvard or Quinnipiac so um yeah best of Cornell and yeah. Cornell is a I mean it's an unbelievable place to see a hockey game if anyone's listening has oh, ever yeah. has a chance to see a college hockey game at Cornell I mean it's an unbelievable place you're packed in there kind of like sardines you know they have great students watching and there's all the history above you and yeah Lina right is that the name of it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah! Great place to to see a hockey game. But uh, Neil, thank you for doing this. Uh, I was about six different times in December-ish. I was near the email, thinking, "Oh, I should reach out and talk to you about Francesa." But you know, it's such a tough time. It's close to the holidays. I'm like, ah, maybe now's not a good time to reach out. He's probably going crazy with this story. So I ended up kind of letting it sit, and kind of in my head, imagine, you know. At some point in April, Matt, uh, Mike's going to announce this podcast or, uh, you know, this job at Westwood One or, you know, something. You know, I just had, like, he's got this, he's got some idea he keeps hinting at. I never imagined it would be an email to talk to you about his return to WFAN. Were you as shocked as I was? Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, I was. I mean, been, you know, like, let, let's say it had been a year later and the new show wasn't doing great and Mike was bored, you know, and then he came back. I mean, that, that wouldn't have really been that weird. The, the the fact that it happened this fast is just, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I thought I was done with that chapter of my career, just like he was done with that chapter of his career. And now here we are. But you know what? The, 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 the impact of that story. Just on web traffic, sort of illustrates the point of why um, they wanted him back, and, and why the local newspapers are thrilled to have him. I mean, <clears throat> the week he came back, local high school wrestling coach passed away at a young age. That was our number one most viewed story of the week. Uh, and remember, this is the week the Jets and Giants and Jets picking two, three in the draft. Right. Yankees never lose, whatever. And, and stories about Mike were two, three, four, and five on our list of most viewed stories for the week. Uh-huh. The following week, when Nick Sire, new coach, Matt Harvey gets cut, Yankees never lose, Mike was one, two, three last week on our most viewed stories. So it's just, it's astounding. But anyway, the, yes, the whole thing is, yes, I was shocked. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was shocked. Do you think... <laughs> I well to put it. If we're putting this in a nutshell... Do you think he got out there and discovered that his ego and his wallet were too big for any of the offers that were there? Like, is that in the end what it's about? That he couldn't find a high enough paying job or a job that in his mind was big enough for him? Or is it something more than that? Or am I way off? Well, I, 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 I think it's, it's sort of a, a combination of 
things. I mean, yeah, I think that he didn't, the alternatives were not uh, as appealing to him as the FAN thing was. So, yeah, and that's, uh, I, I, he did have other things he could have done. I, I think, I, I guess the part that surprises me the most is not so much that he didn't have other things he could have done that were different, but I, I just, you know, based on everything he said last year, I thought he was going to be open to cutting back in terms of, you know, something less ambitious, less hours, less days, therefore less money, and just, you know, something different. As it turned out, you know, and he, he swore a million times, I don't want to do five-day-a-week radio anymore, and here he is. Now, granted, it's two hours a day less. Um, but he, you know, he claims it's all tied, it all flowed from this, uh, he keeps calling it the app, I mean, it's really a, a website, uh, uh, so, so, uh, and, that, and that the best platform for that turned out to be having a show on FAN. I mean, so as to your question, I, I think I, I don't know this, but I would assume it's not. It's, I think it's an oversimplification to say, oh, nobody wanted him or was going to pay him enough, so therefore he can back to FAN. I think that he ultimately decided that he missed it and that that was the best place to regain some of that, A, that attention, B, money, and C, and he said most importantly, a place for to promote and to provide content for this app, this little presence that they're going to do. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you these two things. Uh one is the the big a big part of the story was oh he took a pay cut is it as simple as he just took his old salary and prorated it based on what his new hours are or did he legitimately take a pay cut even relative to the hours he's working? Well, I mean I don't know that's fuzzy. He says okay. he didn't take a pay. He, all he told me was that he's being first he said he's being paid the same way he was in the past. And when I said well, okay, but but then he did kind of indicate well yeah I'm working hours so. I cannot answer that question of whether it's the exact prorated rate at he, which he used to work, because now you've also got this digital thing that's another element. So I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, 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 I think it's in the ballpark of a prorated pay cut. I just don't know the exact. So at some point it becomes semantics. I mean, yeah, he took a pay cut. He's working six hours a week less, and in his mind, he's working, you know, for roughly the same rate. But I don't have I don't have proof of that one way or the other. Right? Did do you think that he ever got close to any? Like, did any other job get close? Like, I know he talked about the Brett Musburger's thing, and Russo talked about him uh, having some negotiation with Sirius, and maybe there was going to be some kind of joint effort and maybe then Mike doing his own thing. Did, was there any other thing he got close to as far as you know, or did he kind of just kick the tires on a few things and then go back to that fan? Yeah, I mean, where I'm getting not close, close to anything. I mean, I know he did talk to a lot of people. I, you know, the athletic, I thought was an interesting thing for a while because it's thrown around so much money. Um, and the serious thing, I don't get, the, I don't think I got that far. Um, you know, I, I think once he decided he was interested in being back on the radio, there just aren't that many options because ESPN, he didn't want to go. I think they wanted him either. So he would have had to find some other home like WOR, which has political talk most of the day. So I don't think, I mean, I know he talked to a lot of people, but I don't think he even got very close to doing something else. Did he really have to go to the brass at Entercom to do this? Like, did FAN initially say no, and he had to sidestep his bosses there? I 
don't think it was so much them saying no. It's just that he just went right. It's not that Chris was their executive vice president or Mark Chernoff said to my went right to the top himself. I don't think it was so. In the, you know, so it wasn't going over the heads of people in that he was uh, defying them. I think it was more going over their heads in that he went right to the boss. And uh, the boss was interested, uh, you know, I guess because he, I mean, obviously it strengthens, look, look at, first of all, it strengthens their station in the short term, obviously, but, and just, just look at this massive attention they've gotten, that, that in itself is, again, sort of justifies what they did. And, uh, you know, CMB was trending in the wrong direction, and um, I don't know how long they would have lasted. Uh, but again, that's that's the shocking thing, though, is if you give them a year and they're not doing well, nobody would say nobody would argue with. Well, okay, fine, you gave them a chance; it didn't work. Well, it's kind of you know, it's kind of rough. Yeah, I, you know, I only listened to it maybe one time. I kept reading on Twitter that um, the football player—I can't think of his name for whatever reason right now. Uh, was struggling with the baseball side of it, but then I watched. Yeah, well, that was. That, I watched yeah, the video. They kind of mocked that. Yeah. 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 I mean, Bart's Bart's lack Bart, of baseball right. yeah. knowledge was always going to be an issue, but. Uh, but again, it was such a short. I mean, they, they, they Mark, Mike came back. You know, like barely after the baseball season had started. Right. <laughs> what do you think? Like when listening to him now, it's just. just I mean, I, I've listened quite a bit it's just the same it's the same like, i mean it's really this odd scenario where you know like when you think of things coming back <laughs> you know usually time passes but it's really just the same thing it's just the, it's the same exact show it's the same mic well, just a little bit a little right. bit shorter right i mean no i mean that was that was my complaint whenever a little sort of you know review off the first show i mean that, that was my complaint is that look if you're gonna you know, it, 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 after all that farewell tour and all the controversy and the coming back and whatever, you know, at that point maybe you can sort of make less gear if you do something just different. I don't, know, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but yeah, I agree. The the, the sameness of it was it came to me as a bit of a shock. It's like, well, wait a minute, we you you said you're going to do something different, okay? But you're coming back to FN, okay? All right. Well, now you're the now. His answer is that this is a short term. You know, back on the radio, yes. But once he gets this digital going, and that will change everything. I think he would benefit from having, a, you know, not necessarily a partner, but someone who's on, you know, a Kim Jones or just a somebody, somebody to like draw him out the way Russo you do is that that's different. Um. But part of the problem here itself is so stale to me. It's hard to make it, it different. It's hard to make any of this stuff different at this point. So uh, that that's a challenge. But yeah, it's when he, I mean that's why joked in the column. He's only allowed he's only allowed one Ira per week. You know, you, you can pick Ira from Staten Island or Ira Winderman, the, <laughs> the basketball analyst. Don't don't give us both. And sure enough, the first day he had Ira from Staten Island, which that's I mean that's a caller. That's not Mike's you know scheduling him. And then the next day, Ira Winderman. So 
And, you know, and Jay Wright, it was weird that first day, you know, here's the, you know, on the surface of it, you'd say, wow, Jay Wright has just won a national championship. I mean, having him on makes a lot of sense. Like, that's a good guess. Jay Wright, just, you know, since Mike went off the air, the guy won a national championship. And yet somehow it was kind of like, oh, Jay Wright again, you know, because Jay Wright's such a regular, the reaction, I think, of a lot of people was, oh, wow, that's, wow, so what, he's got Jay Wright on, even though, you know, again, in theory, that's a good guess. Now, I know it's a month after he won the national championship, but still, it's, you know, it's not like some B-list guy. Right. And even but, a- but that A-Rod. goes back, that goes back, but that goes, and a- well, A-Rod, see, that's another one. Yeah. Whereas on the surface, A-Rod's a great guest, because we're like, why not? But but it's sort of like, oh, wow, it's, that, that's, that's the, ch- that's, all I wrote was not, the, I didn't say the show stinks, I, I said, you know, the challenge to Mike is going to be trying to freshen this thing up. That, to me, is his challenge. So far, he hasn't done it, but again, he says, wait till August, and then you'll see. And we'll say, I said, all right, fine, we'll wait till, we'll see what happens in August. You know, uh, Jimmy Train is a friend of the show here, and we've talked about mm-hmm. Mike in the past. And his complaint is that, you know, Mike just doesn't have enough fun. And, you know, he uses the example of sour shoes. You know, sour shoes can call Dan Patrick or Chris Russo or even Howard Stern, and they can have fun with him. He calls Mike, and Mike just hangs up on him and moves on. Like, do you think it's just not in Mike to kind of relax and have that kind of fun, like, to get there? Or do you think that that is well, maybe something he should try? Or do you think, I mean, look at, like we said, the show's the same and Mike just is who Mike is. Yeah, obviously it's something he should try. And that's another thing I wrote about is just, yeah, it's, it's, it's like uh, Russo used to say, saying something funny, Mike. You know, obviously the show would benefit from that. And I do think that's where people like Russo or Kim Jones or other potential people he feels comfortable with do draw him out. Because, uh, of course, he should. I mean, he's admitted in the past to me that, you know, he should have had more of a sense of humor about the falling asleep thing, and that would have diffused it. But he, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't come naturally to him have a sense of humor about himself, but uh, yeah, I agree that that would be a good idea in certain situations. You have to be yourself, or otherwise, you know, none of this works, uh, but of course, there's situations where he should lighten up, and um, and in the past, he has shown the ability to do that, uh, but again, it helps having someone there with him, I think. Uh, again, I'm not suggesting a full-blown Chris Russo-style partner. I'm just, you know, suggesting that having other voices in the show can can jazz it up a little. I mean, so, I don't know. Maybe he'll do it in August. Do you know any more about Mike said something about trying to get the rights to Mike and the Mad Dog? And I know, uh, I'm trying to think, was it Deitch or Trena? It might have been Trena who had... Russo on and asked him about that, and Russo said, "Oh, I got someone on that," and kind of hush, hush. What, what's going on there? Yeah. What's that about? Well, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know the the legalities of this kind of thing. I I would think, as a non lawyer, that the you know FAN, you know, Intercom, whatever FAN owns owns that, and they can sell it to whoever they want, including Mike. And I don't understand why Chris Russo has a say in that. It's not. That, that that show, that name, those tapes, you know, all of that stuff is owned by the station, not by Mike or Chris. So if, if the station wants to sell it to Mike, I I don't understand why that is not okay. But again, I don't I don't know how this works legally. Right. I I was just like thinking about that. I was like, wow, it'd be so great if, as part of this app, you know, Chris bought in a little bit on them owning their tapes, and that maybe 
you know, something they could do on the app to make it if, the, if he's looking to charge a subscription in what has now become a very competitive suddenly subscription market. I got so many damn subscriptions oh. to things. I mean, I'm, I can't even keep track of them. You know what I mean? It's like, my goodness. Uh, I had to get YouTube yeah. Red for the Cobra Kai thing. You know what I mean? And I'm like, YouTube Red? Like, what even is that? I don't even know. Uh, but th- that could be a great way for them. I, th- I think this is the question is that we've always been looking since they've been apart for ways for them to get together, even if it's just an hour here and an hour there. And they found some ways, the, the thing at radio city, the 30 for 30, you know, um, Mike, when he was off was on, on uh, Russo show. Do you see maybe the app or, or that as a way of them getting together? Do you see anything else? Uh, do you think that Chris's comments during the transition have maybe pushed them apart again. Uh, what do you think about the status of their relationship and how they might maybe be able to be together now and again? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the relationship had, you know, had been in a good place. I'm sure. I assume some of the things Chris said didn't, you know, weren't great with Mike in the last, you know, few weeks. But um, you know, the other problem is it has to be worked out with Sirius. Like, I don't know how contractually what he's allowed to do, but you know, obviously from a fan perspective if they did things occasionally um for this website or in person or whatever that that always you know people always like that and obviously some of the novelty of these reunions is over now but if they did something on a regular basis i'm sure people would be interested but uh yeah i don't know i i uh I, some of the stuff chris said in the last few weeks uh it made me nervous can't have gone over too well yeah i don't yeah. i don't know but it's it's <laughs> Yeah. As a fan of the Mike and the Mad Dog brand, a couple things came out of Chris's mouth, and I went, "Oh no!" You know what I mean? Like, I think as as fans of Mike and the Mad Dog, we always have felt like kind of like as a part of their divorce. You know, like one's mom, Mm -hmm. one's dad. You know, and we got to go to mom's house or dad's house now. You know, we don't have Christmas together anymore. You know, and there was these brief brief teases here and 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 it felt like things were coming together and man they might they could do anything at any time and it's great and now i'm like oh no i hope he didn't ruin it you know but uh well i mean it is a fair criticism or observation of chris says that you know 90 percent of the time when he's getting attention it's something fan related or mic related which you know doesn't speak well to his other endeavor for the last 10 years so i, I don't know yeah. It does seem to emerge that, you know, I, I think uh, Gio or somebody was making fun of him on the air that, you know, he's like the, uh, that's his role in life now is the, you know, the comment on FAN matters, the, which is just weird. Uh, that's, you know, it's all weird. But isn't that kind of... I, I don't, I don't know. Isn't that kind of... No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, isn't that kind of the New York bubble in a way, though? I mean, like, I mean, he's got a national show on the Major League Baseball Network that I think a lot of people watch, and... I mean, Sirius yeah. does have like 35 million subscribers now, and I know all 35 million aren't turned into Chris Russo station for uh, 305 for, uh, you know, Yankees Pirates talk or whatever he's talking about that day. But I do think I, th- I think Howard Stern fought this a lot too, right? It's because he doesn't have five million listeners in New York anymore. There's this perception that he's went away to Siberia, but that's not really true, right? No, I think that's fair, and of course, it also you could say this to the reverse about Mike, where you know he the idea that this guy is on the back pages of New York newspapers and is our most viewed story of the week. Obviously, people in Iowa would just find that stunning because they've never heard of him. So, 
Yeah, I mean, the New York bubble thing works in both directions with these guys. Um, but, you know, I don't, even though that's true, uh, it doesn't matter for my day-to-day life because right. I'm in the, the bubble. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well, their 30 for 30 was a great example of that, right? I mean, it was like the lowest rated one nationally, but the highest rated one ever in New York. Yeah, if right. I mean, if yeah. it wasn't if it wasn't uh, the lowest and the highest, it was yeah. I mean, right. Isn't that what you said is basically accurate? Which you know is not shocking. Which, which is why originally they didn't think they were going to do a full blown feature length thing and maybe have it be a short or something. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe they should have re- somehow regionalized the thirty for thirties and had a NASCAR one in the <laughs> south. I mean, I don't know because it was such a local story. Um, that, yeah, New Yorkers loved it, and the rest of the country was like, why would I watch this? And, in fact, it's not as if there aren't local stories that could be of national interest, but what I, when I was watching it the first time, I was actually thinking that I, when they were talking about their squabbles and stuff, and I'm thinking, wow, there is just no way that you could care about this outside of New York because, you know, you're not invested in the characters. Obviously, the only way you would care about these two talk radio hosts having, like, little squabbles is if you're invested in the show. You know, it's not as if that that kind, that part of it had zero interest outside New York. I thought the only parts that would have interest outside New York is, you know, sort of the origins of sports talk radio, how the the earlier days of FAN and how that spread around the country. I mean, that 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 makes sense nationally, but not the soap opera stuff at FAN. Yeah, unbelievable. The sportscaster here with Neil Best. He's at Sports Watch on Twitter. Uh, nice enough to take some time. I have to ask you, what is it like? to be in the back of the SUV with Mike, Julio in the front. Like, put me in the SUV for a second. Well, I mean, that was... Yeah, but that's... The, the, now my my, my uh, memory of that day is now altered forever <laughs> by the fact that this that it's, it it's, was a non-event, essentially. But anyway, um, no, it was fine. It was nice of him to have us in. And I, we had Casey Massara, our videographer, was with me. And... Um, uh, you know, my the thing about Mike is, uh, you know, obviously it's his job to speak, say interesting words on the radio. So as as a result of that, he's a pretty good interview. He's, he's very quotable off the air too. I mean, he's not the most efficient talker in the world, just like on the air. Uh, sometimes there's repetition, but he, he's a very quotable guy. So whenever I've spent that much time with him, the problem is what to do with all this stuff because you get a lot of material from him. <laughs> And you know, and he's usually willing to say just about or answer just about anything. So I don't know. I get yeah, it was it was interesting, but it doesn't seem very historic anymore. <laughs> so you know, someone asked if someone someone at Newsday asked if I was what my plans were for the first day back. Like you know, whatever last week. You know, would you think we should ask about going in the you know driving in with them again? I'm like, you can do whatever you want. I'm not driving. I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's... I mean, come on. I mean, that, that would be. Well, I don't think he would have agreed to it anyway. But but that that would be ridiculous from our point of view. That's funny because it would, make, it would make us look a little silly. I mean, people would have read it, I guess. But I mean, if me personally, I think it would have made me feel pretty silly. I think you know, like these guys, like I know Howard will uh, for charity sometimes. Like auction, like I know Howard Stern will auction. Like you can come sit in on the couch during the news, you know, and they get right. they get like thousands for that experience right i think mike if he wanted to raise a quick 20 grand for charity could could put up ride you know 
they'll pick you up at the McDonald's two miles away from his house, and you can ride with them to uh, to WFAN. I think you could get some serious cash for that experience. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that's true. I mean, if I had, you know, if I had some cash, I'd, I, you know, I'd lay it down to ride with Julio and Mike, in, you know, into the studio. That'd be sick. But uh, <laughs> that'd be really fun. All right. Um, yeah. Thanks for this. This is really cool. I mean, do you do you think when the book comes out, he's going to be number one? Uh, no, no, I mean no. definitely not number one because he wasn't when he left. I mean, well, but I mean, know, sports shows because that's really yeah, okay. See, that, see, that's that's the problem is right. I, I've said to Mike to Chernoff to to Kay to everybody. I, I just find it bizarre that these guys care whether they beat Spanish language stations right. and Light FM and, and church, but they do. They care for their ego. They care for their bonuses. That they, they, I've been told it actually matters. But in my yes, in my world, all I care about is what's happening between ESPN and FN. And I, I think that um, my, my assumption is that in the short term, it's going to go back to where it was last fall, where Kay was, you know, pretty close, but not beating him. You know, Kay's the best, the, the best rated show on that channel. So my, my guess is it's going to go back to Mike winning, uh, you know, by a point or so uh, in the, the spring. The question is, once this all settles down and we get into next fall, I mean, I do think at some point Kay could beat him uh, because he was being—he was getting competitive last year, uh, which again is another reason I thought the timing was good for Mike to leave because it's like, okay, you know, just quit, you know, declare victory and leave. And now he's left himself vulnerable to possibly being beaten. I, I don't think it'll happen in May and June with all the attention that's been around Mike's return, but we'll see what happens in October and November. I can't wait for the spin if it ever happens. I mean, the, just... the, the pro- this, this, I know this ratings thing is, is really a problem for me because, you know, we used to do it quarterly and that was enough, but it was so much interest this winter, I started doing it monthly, and then I was like, all right, I'm done with the monthly, we're going back to quarterly. Well, now the problem is, you know, people want to know, well, okay, well, what happened in April? I had CMB do against K in April, and then it's going to be like, okay, well, Mike's back, well, what do you do in May? Right. <laughs> it, it's, it's, you know, all of a sudden, we're trapped into this ratings thing again, which, you know... Is, is pretty annoying, but it's such a silly thing. Uh, that you know, but there's there's interest. Too. I mean, there's interest. I just know yeah. I can't deny that there's interest in it. So, yeah, it's a silly thing, but it it does it does captivate us for whatever reason. Uh, listen, Neil, I really appreciate the time today. I know since we talked last, okay. the box TV is gone, and you have replaced it with a state of the art HDV, HD TV flat screen, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I still have three. Yes, I still have an SD in my office, but yeah, our main TV now is an actual HD TV. That's a be- that's beautiful news. I'm I'm glad to hear yeah. it, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank all you right, so well, much for all this time. I love right. I love chatting with you about right. the sports media. Thank you. thank the great Damon Hack and Neil Best for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. For more information, you can always follow me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. 
And uh, we're on Facebook as well. I'm on Instagram, at Sportscasters there. Uh, so there's definitely places on sports uh, social media uh, where you can find this show and keep up with what's going on. But Twitter is the best place, at Sports underscore Casters. Please check out uh, podcast Greetings from Allentown. It's one of my favorite wrestling podcasts out there. It's a solo show. Uh, a guy named Peter Winston, a Bruins fan, but we're not going to hold that against him. Uh, does the show by himself. It comes out every Thursday. Uh, at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter, I believe, if you wanted to check that out as well. Just want to give a quick plug there. All right. Uh, with that said, one last thing for me today. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the documentary uh, that I did for the show. Uh, we did a five-part documentary on the 2013 Yale Bulldogs, and uh, it was amazing. We had two players on each show. I don't know if I was saying five-part. It was a four-part show, one for each win in the national championship run. Uh, we had two players from the team for each one. We had help from Chip Malfronte from the New Haven Register, and it all concluded with a big interview with Keith Elaine, the coach of Yale. We did 40 minutes there. So I did break format to do that project, uh, and I really enjoyed doing it. It was an honor for me to create something that will exist in perpetuity now in subsequent anniversaries for the Yale boys that were on the teams and their families to look back and reminisce. That was a huge, huge reason why I did it. I kind of want to tell you a little bit about a little bit of a dilemma I had. I wanted to present this as their story. I wanted to stay out of it. And it was hard for me because I was so intertwined. And I did at times when it was appropriate, I felt it was appropriate, discuss things with the guys, you know, stories, uh, the way I viewed something during the run. You know, I think I talked with Kenny and Jesse about how when Jesse scored in overtime against Minnesota, I was the only one in the room, uh, even though when the, the puck dropped in the first period, the room was quite crowded. So I did share things here and there. And my plan was, is that in part four, uh, I would do a one last thing. And in that one last thing, I would open up about my personal connection to the story. Uh, And I didn't do it in the end. In the end, instead, for one last thing on part four, I went through the roster and said something about every player just because I was self-conscious that maybe there was a player out there who didn't get mentioned, and I wanted it to be for everyone, so I wanted everyone to at least be mentioned one time on the show. Uh, So I did that instead, and I fell short of maybe putting my heart into it a little bit. Not the project. My heart was in the project for sure, but I left a small piece out, you know, this, this little bit of what the run meant to me. You know, I wanted to really get into the picture. You know, and the and the thing with Richard Deitch uh, and the whole story. And, and maybe I'm not going to get into it here, but someday I will tell that story. And I have told it. I mean, I, it's not a secret to anyone who listens to this show. Obviously, we've talked about it. You know, but I wanted to really kind of put it out there on the documentary, and I didn't. And ultimately, it was just my decision that that it wasn't really about me, that this time this thing was about them, those guys, the guys who were out on the rink. Uh, so my story will be told another time. Uh, I was just really glad to do that. And I wanted to thank everyone who listened. Uh, anyone who's listening now because they listened to that, welcome. I hope you enjoyed what the podcast really is. Uh, and anyone who was a listener before and was patient through that period or maybe listened anyway, uh, I wanted to thank you as well. It was a real labor of love. 
You know, it was something that meant a lot to me to do it. And, uh, you know, looking back, I think it, it turned out really well. I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the time I spent with Keith Elaine and how honest he was, how truthful he was with me. Uh, so in the end, I think it was really a fantastic project. All right. Thanks for being patient. Thanks again to Damon Hack and Neil Best. Uh, we'll be back in a week or two with another episode. Hopefully Jim Florentine will join us. 